And so now, Father, we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ himself for all these things. Amen. We're going to have our first Bible reading. And at the moment, we're going through Genesis. We're going through Genesis. We are on chapter 19 today. Chapter 19. And we've been looking at various stages in uh, the life of Abraham recently. And at the moment, he's he's been in the company of three angels. One of these angels was was God in a human form. Most likely Jesus Christ in human form. And, well, there's, a, there's been a threat made by God against the cities of the plain. So there was, a, there was an area down by the sea with several uh, small cities. And God said he was going to destroy them. And he does. Uh, Abraham starts pleading with him. Well, well, if we just find some of you know, your people in the city, will you, will you spare the cities? And the Lord says yes, and as it turns out, they couldn't even find ten, ten people who were right in the eyes of God. And so it's going to go ahead, and so today we'll learn about the beginnings of what happened just prior to these cities being uh, destroyed. And there came two angels to Sodom at even. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and entered into his house. And he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter, and they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them, and shut the door after him, and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known men. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. And they said again, This one fellow came in to sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand, and pulled Lot into the house to them, and shut to the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides? Son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth, 
and set him without the city. So, quite an interesting uh, episode there. Without going into too much detail, obviously the the people of, of Sodom and those cities had become uh, corrupt in, in many ways, probably across the board. Uh, violence, sexual immorality, and the, the whole thing. And th- this particular episode is is really quite stark because of how just brutal it is. Um, and so we know what we know what these um, these people these men of Sodom uh, wanted to do to these visitors to the town and wanted to do to Lot and uh, he probably would have killed them all afterwards and so is it any wonder God did what what he did okay we shall go on to some notices Uh, Wednesday, last uh, Wednesday, we we had our our usual Bible study uh, midweek. I decided that we would we would make a change to that. We've been using one of Skype's features called Meet Now, which has served us okay, but it's a little bit uh, fragile, <laughs> uh, problematic, and so we've we, we've tried Zoom before. Zoom has a, a forty minute. Um, like limitation on it uh, with the free version so we've now got a license for zoom so we can we can uh, chat for several hours on a wednesday evening so if you don't belong to new road church you're still welcome to join us so if you contact me contact me through the through uh, through youtube or facebook and we can uh, send you an invitation there's Something else says Sermon Audio. Uh, now, Sermon Audio is the main platform wh- where this where this is uh, broadcasted. Uh, now, I've noticed today. I think I think the broadcast has stopped working on uh, the broadcast has stopped working on Sermon Audio. There's some technical issue, but this is the good thing is it's going out on YouTube and Facebook, so it's still it's still going out there. But Sermon Audio have done a grand job. These are just teething teething problems. Uh, I just wanted to mention something else they just developed, which is uh, an app for your phone. Now I have an Android phone, so this was like I found this app on a Google Play Store. But I'm sure the iOS, the the Apple Store, has an equivalent. And so we already have several avenues. You know, we already have the um, we have the the sermon audio site where you can watch the sermon on catch up. We have the YouTube, we have the Facebook, and we have Spotify. So you might be wondering why bother with an app for your phone? Well, it's just that people are different, and some people prefer to access uh, ministry in different ways and so now they can get an actual app on the phone uh, just with new roads details on and they can uh, interact with the church there contact us listen to messages hopefully (laughs) be blessed uh, or not (laughs) Uh, and 
so yeah so I, I've got that on my phone so I would I would I would encourage you if you're that way inclined then uh, download the app church one it's called church one and you simply at the very outset just set your your local church in and then that that's that's the default church then for the app this is only mostly of interest to people locally but we had in the past um, just over a week perhaps a week and a half we've had two local pastors who have uh, passed away and uh, I, I knew both of them but if you if you know the 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 churches involved the families obviously I'd encourage you to pray and remember that we we're, we're praying that the the people who take the services would be able to be wise in how they they speak we're praying for the the believers that they might be encouraged and that the that those congregations that not, don't have a shepherd over them at the moment might might soon find one uh, and also that those who don't believe who, who are attending a funeral you know as a mark of respect that there'd be something said that would cause them to think you know what we're all dropping off that cliff aren't we we're all we're all just so close to to to, to death whether tomorrow or next year or 10 years it's it's there it's waiting for us and so we're hoping that we're hoping they'll think that way hoping that they'll start to think about eternity they're going to spend eternity somewhere we want them to understand that and go to God and say can I spend eternity with you forgive me so there are a couple of funerals coming up because of the lockdown situation uh, the, the, the restrictions generally mean that there's a limited number of people can go to these funerals so I've already inquired and uh, I, I I can't go but uh, at least one of the funerals will be, will be live streamed so at least we can join in after a fashion don't think there's anything else okay what do we have we have a hymn and if you're new to the neuro broadcast we are going through the Psalms so not necessarily metrical psalms. They could be metrical psalms. They could be singing the psalms exactly how they're written in English. You know, so uh, the timing's all wrong and the, the lines are different lengths and they don't rhyme. But but it's still, it's faithful to, to the Bible. And then we on the other end of the, the spectrum, we have outright uh, paraphrases. We have, we have hymns that are just based uh, loosely on the, the psalm. So... The next psalm we're going to look at is Psalm 46 and the hymn that's being created is called God is our refuge and our strength and I'm grateful to oh, I don't know the guy's name but someone's put the Metropolitan Tabernacle hymn singing online so I'm grateful for him I'll give him a shout out next week maybe so I hope you enjoy this hymn God is our refuge and our strength
Well, thanks to the folks at the Met Tab for blessing us with that hymn based on Psalm 46. Well, we're going to go to our next Bible reading now. This is the this is the second reading on which the the sermon, the message is based, and it's from the Gospel according to Mark. We've been going through Mark one on chapter ten. It's quite a short. It's the the shortest of the Gospels. And I think it has 14 chapters. But it's quite incredible, quite a unique, it's quite special in its own way. And we are, I suppose, getting towards the finale, if you like, which is Jesus's final entry into Jerusalem, where he would eventually uh, be taken and crucified. But it was all ordained. His, his, his capture, his fake trial, his... Is hanging on the cross even though he'd done nothing wrong it was all ordained because it was on the cross that he was going to die uh, for the sins of his people well let's read then mark's gospel chapter 10 verses 46 to 52 and they that's the disciples and jesus they came to jericho and as he went out of jericho with his disciples and a great number of people blind bartimaeus the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more, a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And he called a blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort. Rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? What do you want? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Amen. So this is quite a well-known incident. It's the giving of sight to, to Bartimaeus, the blind man. We read elsewhere there was there was two men here, but Mark concentrates just just on this one guy. Now I've spoken. Uh, in, in Mark's gospel, I've spoken about miracles. I've spoken about them numerous times and and I've I've often used the healing of Jesus as a launch pad if you like to talk about the gospel now you might remember I said to you these miracles were only secondarily to do with the immediate needs of the people who, who were healed you know their their sight their actual lameness their their inability to hear anything instead each healing miracle was to picture for us throughout all time the spiritual healing that takes place when God saves someone eternally now 
I've already done this, as I say, I've already used Jesus' healings to talk about spiritual salvation. So you might wonder why we linger here. Maybe I'm repeating myself, and it's true. When I glanced at this passage, obviously I've read it numerous times in the past, but sometimes you read but don't take much notice. And so this, this business of exegesis, as it's called, this business of preaching from the bible it forces people like me to to go into detail to look more closely at the text to stop and consider it properly and that's good for me as well obviously but when i began to look closely at this passage to meditate on it uh, i changed my mind i was gonna i was gonna skip past this almost just mention it in passing but i thought no there's something special about this there's a few reasons why it warrants us spending some time on it today. Well, well, firstly, it's it's unusual because this is the last healing miracle in Mark's gospel. There are no more healing miracles. There's another miracle, which is the uh, the fig tree. Jesus did something funny to a fig tree, which we'll come to. But this is the last healing miracle, so it's got to be something special. Secondly. It marks the end of an important section in Mark's Gospel. Now, as as I um, as I go with you through this Gospel, we, we we go into great detail each week, and it's easy to lose the bigger picture. But the last three chapters, eight, nine, ten, have been about something in particular. It's about Jesus revealing his true identity, and also his his true destiny, and trying to get the disciples to grasp these things now the whole the whole of this section began with the healing of a blind man in Bethsaida and here that the section ends with the healing of a blind man it's like a little pair of brackets around the accounts uh, around the the whole sort of um, period that Jesus was trying to teach the disciples these things. So the the, the third reason why we, we should spend some time on it is because it, it names the guy. It's unusual. Bartimaeus. Uh, as the text tells us, it means son of Timaeus. And that's unusual because gospel writers don't normally use names for the people that Jesus healed. And fourthly, right at the centre of all this, uh, this whole episode is this marvellous little phrase it, that really captured my imagination. He calleth thee. Jesus, they tell the blind man, Jesus is calling for him. And this has an application, both to those who've experienced the call of God to salvation and all those who understand their lost condition now and that they're seeking God's face in prayer. So if you were listening today, and you're conscious of your sinfulness, you understand the consequences of it, you accept you deserve those consequences, and you want to get right with God, we say to you, he calleth thee. So go to him. Go to him today. So there are some reasons why this passage is unique and why it's worth spending some time on. So today, as as I go through different aspects of that process by which someone is converted to Jesus Christ, I want you to just be aware of the the details 
of the healing of Bartimaeus. Keep that in your mind. How much Bartimaeus really understood is not it's not entirely clear. But his, his words and his actions, they provide us with plenty of material to describe the way God deals with someone when he means to save them from sin. So here's my first point. The sinner coming to God desires sight This poor man had been begging. He had to live, after all. He placed himself on a busy road. And his, his, his survival literally depended on the, the charity of those that passed by. He had to see to those necessities of life, the, the food, the clothing. But he dreamed of sight he wanted to see faces, daffodils, eagles, sunsets, and the myriad of things that we take for granted. So this was a special day. It's clear he did understand some very important things, and, and in many ways, you know, he understood better than the disciples. I came across this quote in one of the, the commentaries I was reading by a man called J.R. Edwards. Uh, he said, What Bartimaeus lacks in eyesight, he makes up for in insight. <laughs> I like that. What Bartimaeus lacks in eyesight, he makes up for in insight. And so it is with the person whose heart God is working on. They want to see. They want to see God. That is, they want to perceive God clearly in whatever way is possible. And in this present world, the Christian doesn't see God face to face, but through a relationship with Jesus Christ and a, a commitment to understanding God through his word, the Bible, they can have a relationship with him that is almost as good as if he were visible to them. So the convert to Christ soon understands what it means for a believer to see God now. Well, here's my second point. The sinner who is coming to God, called by him, acknowledges Jesus as saviour. Now this word, Bartimaeus used, Jesus means saviour. The Old Testament name Joshua means the same thing now many people would have been given uh, the name Jesus in those days and and even today in places like South America it's 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 common for people to be called Jesus but I suspect Bartimaeus knew not only this man's name meant saviour but that this man was the saviour such was his confidence you see that that this man, Jesus, he had power. Unlike any man who ever lived, he knew this man could restore his sight with a click of his fingers. But I believe he also knew this was the one who could save him eternally. Any man or woman who wants to get right with God understands Jesus is saviour. Not just one of many, but the 
saviour. The saviour of the world. That is the, the only real saviour that the world has. They understand they need saving. And having become aware of their sinfulness, they know they need to be rescued. And, and through us, through God's people explaining the gospel to them, they learn about Jesus Christ. That he, he doesn't merely arrange salvation and then give it to them, but he, he, he is their salvation. He became the saviour by offering up his own self on the cross. Well, the third thing about the sinner who's coming to God is they understand Jesus. He understands Jesus is king. So the title, not the name, the title Bartimaeus uses for Jesus, son of David, has huge significance. Now, before Jesus came to this earth, that title had come to mean the same thing as Messiah. The one all the prophets spoke of who would come to be king over Israel. The anointed one. And the Greek word equivalent to Messiah is Christos, from where we get the title Christ. So his name is Jesus, but his title is Christ. Messiah, son of David. I'm guessing that the the early readers of Mark's Gospel may have been shocked by the sudden appearance of this important title. Could all those prophecies have been fulfilled in this man? Consider this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11 and the first five verses says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. This was him, this was him, Jesus was the man. And then this, this final healing miracle in the gospel, it's just, just one more powerful statement to um, solidify uh, Jesus' status as Messiah. Now up till recently, if you've been following this, Jesus has been discouraging the disciples from making his true identity known. Now the veil is slowly being lifted as he prepares to enter Jerusalem. The time's come to reveal more of his identity and his mission. And soon, very soon, people are going to hear him during his trial, declaring himself to be the Messiah. So those who are being drawn to the Saviour understand he is both Jesus and the promised Christ, Christ of God. is my next point about the sinner coming to God he cries out for mercy of course he cries for mercy the sinner who's become sensible aware of their lost status has no option but to go to God for mercy they can't ask someone to approach God on their behalf 
even if he's a priest, a pope or a pastor. And they can't go to God half-heartedly. This is a matter of such urgency that a bold approach to God must be made and made in person. Bartimaeus knew Jesus had the power to apply mercy in his case. And his request for mercy, of course, means he understood he was asking for something he didn't deserve. People in our modern society, have you found, they, they tend to think they're owed all kinds of things by, I don't know, by the world, by the government, by me, by the owed, the owed this and the owed that. They, you hear these phrases all the time like, everyone has the right to food, clothing and a safe environment. Sounds nice. <laughs> uh, children have the right to an education. People have the right to equality. Now, look, we know society gives people rights under the law that they can claim against, that they can argue with, but it cannot be said they have a right to anything by nature. In the eyes of God, no one has the right to anything. Do you understand? Not even life itself. The mere continuity, the mere continuation of a person's life is a gift of God. They don't have a right even to their next breath. So Christians should have nothing to do with the language of this world or the, its various causes that don't recognise that every good gift a person receives is from God. Bartimaeus didn't go to Jesus demanding a miracle. He begged him for it. He begs for mercy to get something he didn't deserve. To get something from Jesus he had no right to. Now this is an important point. Th th those people who are seeking God sincerely come to him in humility. If they go to God with pleas of this isn't fair, you, you should do this for me. I have a right to this thing I want. They're wasting their time. The only prayer God will accept from sinful men and women who want to get right with him is a humble one. They must think of themselves as approaching God, crawling on the floor through the dirt, fully confessing that's where they deserve to be. It's the only approach. Well, there's my next point then. All this is mirrored in the in the episode with Bartimaeus, remember? What else do we notice about Bartimaeus that we can apply here? Well, the sinner coming to God exercises perseverance in their cries. Perseverance. I don't know why people were telling Bartimaeus to shut up, but I can take a few guesses. So we could perhaps say the disciples were involved. You know, they'd... Not long before, they'd been, they'd been uh, telling all these parents, take your children away, Jesus is not bothered with them. <laughs> and so maybe that's it, maybe he thought, you know, Jesus is on a mission here, he can't just stop for some, every Tom, Dick and Harry. But perhaps it was Jesus' enemies, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it was mostly them, maybe, you know, they, they didn't want anyone to come into contact with Jesus because... They knew he'd heal them. They knew he'd maybe get another convert. And that's the last thing they want. People converting to Jesus. 
woe unto such people uh, I'm sure the Bible would say there are there can't be many sins more serious than trying to stop someone coming to Jesus and and this has an application you know to to, to like couples for example where uh, one is seeking but feels under pressure from the spouse I was uh, speaking to a guy on on the on his on his doorstep and he was so interested in the things of God and he was asking questions and then a car pulled up it was his wife and immediately he just stepped back and went so okay then well I'll see you sometime yeah okay and he just couldn't wait to get rid of me because he was embarrassed and I sort of get that but think about think about that situation where that man could end up eternally lost if he isn't already and his 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 mocking wife will will have to will be held partly responsible for that anyway our god is sovereign in salvation as in everything else and when he calls someone it's with the intention to bring the call to its full conclusion and so he draws in his people in a way that can't be stopped just as he places the awareness of sin in the sinner's heart to begin with just as he brings them to that place where they understand they need to be saved so he gives them the ability to persevere in their approaches to him friends it's not a faint approach to God that will get his attention he wants a vigorous heartfelt and bold approach and the one who God calls will not give up it reminds me of that fight. It wasn't really. It was a bit of a fight in the Old Testament between Jacob and an angel. And as you know, I believe that angel to be none other than another uh, bodily appearance of Jesus Christ. And there was this wrestling match, and the angel of the Lord that says to Jacob, "Let me go," because this had been going on for hours, and it was like the sun was about to to rise and they'd been at this all night and then so this angel says let me go but Jacob's response was the exact one that God really wanted Jacob said no way I'm not letting you go until you bless me and so it was that Jacob received a blessing from God the crowd in our account today couldn't shut Bartimaeus up he knew he could get mercy from Jesus Christ and he intended to do so when they told him to shut up he just shouted even louder and he, he would never have given up he would have gone on to get louder and louder as far as his lungs would take him God's elect people those who at some point in their lives hear the call of God to them they don't give up if they don't feel a first God's answered their prayer of repentance, they go back to God in prayer and pray harder. And they keep at it until they get the blessing of knowing that their sins are forgiven. And if you are seeking God today, take heart. If you pray to God to, to save you, and I know people in this place, but you don't feel in your heart he has saved you, it may well be that he is waiting for you to show more sincerity, to show more passion in your prayer, to show him you're desperate for his mercy. So don't give up, friend. 
Here's my next point. The sinner coming to God enjoys the encouragement of the saints. Jesus gives this command. He tells the disciples, bring the man to me. His cries had been heard. Whether the disciples had been involved in trying to silence the guy or, or it didn't matter now. Jesus had stopped and it was clear he meant to help this man. It's interesting when they say to Bartimaeus, don't be anxious. Be of good cheer, as it's phrased in a few other places. Jesus is calling you. And why this approach is interesting is it reflects so powerfully one of Isaiah's other prophecies, which you can see in chapter 35. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the death shall be unstopped. Fear not, he will save you. The people uh, like me and, and new people at New Road and, and others who God's already saved, we have a mission, don't we, to go and tell others. And if God so desires one day, we're to, if you like, escort people to Jesus. And we, we, we calm the fears of the sinner who approaches God. We're to tell them not to worry. We encourage them to go to God with, with some courage a courage mixed with humility yes but still a boldness that truly believes it can go to the very throne of God and not be struck down dead but listened to so we encourage the people and what happens well the sinner who comes to God receives the righteousness of Christ the righteousness of Christ. When when we see in our passage today Bartimaeus here throwing down his coat on the ground and going to Jesus, we're reminded of all the references in the scriptures where clothing is used to represent righteousness or the opposite. In that time before God called us and saved us, we were said to be filthy. Now, of course, this means filthy inwardly in a spiritual sense but we can think of our filthiness then as dirty clothes before our conversion we were walking around in these filthy clothes just like everyone else and although now we can we can spot unbelief we can see it in other people around us in this world only God can see the true filthiness of the clothes that they wear our friends our family only God can see their true filthiness this is one of the reasons I think some think it's unfair don't they when they think about God sending their loved ones to a lost eternity it's just they can't accept it because they love this person they have a relationship with them they don't want them to come to harm and that, that's a good thing that's, that's right of course 
but they don't really here's the problem they don't really know they don't really know the other person not properly imagine someone has this loving mother and to the best of their knowledge their mother's love it was and it is real they the mother cared for them from the womb all the way through their lives they made sacrifices for them and yes the mother had faults but on the whole the love the goodness more than compensated for the for the the small things the the faults but that's a wrong way of thinking if we think lots of you know outwardly good things can outweigh a small amount of badness we really need to think about how god sees people he sees them in all their filthiness he sees the things people think and their actions uh, contaminated by sin day in day out god sees sin pouring out of their hearts invisible to everyone else now by god's grace they can be loving people they can be good citizens but even those apparently good things those good attitudes those good actions they're described in the bible as filthy rags they're like filthy rags so you have god looking down on a race of men wearing filthy clothes and distributing filthy rags to others that's what god sees the man woman or child who is approaching god for mercy experiences something quite wonderful picture it like this if you like as they approach god their overcoat of sin that stinking filthy garment falls off and they walk towards god and picture if you with if you will uh, god standing there holding out a, a brand new coat and this coat is perfectly clean and he holds it out while they they put their arms in and they they put it on and they they admire it they wonder at its beauty and this friends is none other than the righteousness of christ himself the reason it's so impeccably clean is because it's the same type that he wears now if you're listening today and you're inquiring after god and you want to know more and you maybe you want to be a christian let me just remind you again this is all just picture language this new clothing you receive when you become a christian is god's righteousness is perfect holiness the one who god has called to himself one who god has clothed with christ's righteousness is obviously going to be viewed differently by god he sees them now living their lives as people who are completely innocent it's as if they've never committed a sin their whole existence as if they've kept god's law perfectly all the time it's a marvelous change of state is it not so here's my next point then the sinner who comes to god accepts that jesus is lord he's lord so the sinner he approaches god for mercy they come in the name of jesus the christ but they also come to god acknowledging jesus christ is lord their master 
God doesn't provide full and free salvation to his, his elect people so they can go and live serving their own interests just like before. He saves them to serve. It's, it's worth noting here that Bartimaeus uses a particular word for Jesus. Now, you can't see it in our version as I read earlier. It says there that Bartimaeus calls Jesus Lord. Now, that is, that's an okay translation. But we find that the word he actually used is Rabboni. And why I mention that is because in uh, old Jewish literature, that title was almost always used only in uh, prayers to God to address God. It was uh, a title they decided should belong to God only. So although it might be, if you like, lost in translation for us, the crowd in the passage and the early readers of Mark's gospel wouldn't have missed the point. This title just affirms the the, the special status, the divine status of Jesus Christ. Rabboni. Sinners. Called by God. Confess that Jesus isn't merely one Lord among many. They confess Jesus is the Lord above all lords. None other than the Lord God Almighty. And in confessing Jesus is Lord of Lords that effectively signing up to serve him forever and what a joyful thing it is uh, to be in the service of God I speak from experience it's a joyful thing here's my next to last point the sinner who comes to God who's being called by God understands Jesus is also a servant It's quite easy to understand being in the service of a lord or a king. They tell you what to do and you do it. Servants will cook their lord's food. He doesn't cook theirs. Uh, they wash his clothes. He doesn't wash their clothes. You can say this is the whole point of lordship in in our normal understanding of what it means to be a lord or a king. This, The, the, the very words are defined by this imbalance you have the ones who perform the service and the one who's being saved the lordship of christ is different now having just a minute ago stressed the importance of submitting yourself to the lordship of jesus christ we're now bringing back into our consideration the reality that jesus is also a servant so cast your mind back to last week if you, if you were with us last time. Jesus didn't merely remind the disciples of that law. The law of first becoming last. That to be the greatest you need to be the least among the brethren. He goes further. He, he tells them he came to serve. Now if the thought of an earthly king or queen. Cooking their own food scrubbing their own floors sounds wrong how much more weird is it for the king of kings to become the servant of millions he came to serve his people it's true and he and he serves them chiefly by giving a life 
uh, given his life uh, as a ransom for them. If you think about it, Jesus was requesting that Jesus save him. He didn't go to Jesus offering to do something for him. He wants, well, he he goes to Jesus fully hoping that Jesus will save him in a way. It sounds almost irreverent, doesn't it? Sounds almost irreverent. But all those millions of prayers that have gone up to God throughout history from his saints, including all the ones from us, are nothing but requests for Jesus to fulfil his role of servant. When God opened that channel, that channel of prayer for me and you, he was inviting you to approach him with lists, lists of requests. And we should take care when preparing our lists. We, do you remember the two disciples the other week? Uh, last week, the the sons of thunder, as they were nicknamed, they asked for greatness. <laughs> they didn't get the answer they were looking for. Jesus revealed to them the way to greatness was through suffering. And he made sure the pair understood they would soon suffer. The prayer of Bartimaeus was a, was a humbler one. He just wanted to see again. And Jesus gave him his request. And it's like that with the one that God calls. They don't come to him asking him for positions of power or riches. It's as if you approach God and God asks the question that Jesus asked Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? And every truly repentant sinner will want the same thing this simple thing but which came at such a cost forgiveness of sins past present and future forgiveness of sins is what they want because it's in forgiveness that they escape damnation and find salvation it's in forgiveness that they escape the eternal violence of God and instead inherit a place in God's new world for all eternity. Here's my final point. The one who is being called by God uses their liberty in Christ to follow him. One of the ways we, one of the ways we picture God saving someone is being set free. We think of people as being tied up with chains in a dungeon, and what God is, God breaks the chains and opens the doors and shows them the way out. So the Christian is one who's been set free. It's as if God's saying, "You're free now. You can do what it." You can do whatever you want. It's as if he's saying, you're free now to do what you want. But what is it the newborn Christian wants? They're no longer bound by the law of God. They're no longer bound by the law. So why is it those who've been born again by God's Spirit don't go off and enjoy all the sinful pleasures of life they've always done? The fascinating thing about this liberty in Christ is everyone who is saved chooses to exercise their freedom by becoming tied up again. 
They're freed from one type of slavery, but they use their liberty to voluntarily place themselves in another type of slavery. What do I mean by that? You who are Bible students know that to follow Christ is described as being a servant to Christ. Now I know I use the word slavery and this has some unpleasant connotations for the modern era. But we know that this slavery, this service we enter into with Christ as our master is a pleasant one and greatly to be desired. Bartimaeus received his sight. He could have run off. He could have run off and never spoken to Jesus again. But the last verse in our passage tells us, after he'd received his sight, he began to follow Jesus. And that particular phrase, follow Jesus in the way, suggests Bartimaeus was a genuine believer on Jesus Christ. And that the fact, as I said earlier, the fact Mark recorded his name might suggest the man was known to the early church because he was a convert. The sinner who's come to God, received his mercy, had the assurance of forgiveness of sins, will want nothing more than to follow Jesus in the way. And this is what we're doing today. We, as we gather around our computer screens and our phone screens to consider God's word together, we're showing ourselves to be on the very same path Bartimaeus was on, that narrow road that leads to eternal life. Bartimaeus then, he started his day by the roadside. He was marginalised because of his disability and his poverty. But he finished the day following Jesus in the way. He'd gone from sitting by the roadside to walking on the road as a disciple of Jesus. So listener, perhaps this morning you're sitting on the side of the road. Perhaps, you know, you're alive, but you're not truly happy. You know there's something more. You're convinced the answer is to get right with God. And you've been told the way to do that is through Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're nervous about approaching a God you've sinned against your whole life. Perhaps you're a, a, a child of Christian parents and you've been faking your Christianity uh, your whole life. Maybe God's working in you. Our message to you is, do not fear. He calleth thee, and all those God calls will surely come to him. And he promises that all those who come to him will not be refused entry to his kingdom. So go to him now in prayer. Let this be the day when in the morning you're on the sidelines, but you finish today on the road that leads to eternal life. May God the Father draw you to himself this day. In the name of Jesus Christ the Lord and in the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you all again for, for being here. 
and and I hope that I hope that this uh, this this work that I do digging into the scriptures is is a blessing. I'm just passing on a message from God's word, hopefully clearly, and I hope there's been something today to to bless each of you. So. Uh, New Road folks, I'll see you on Wednesday. Everyone else, uh, have a great week and uh, lean hard on God in prayer.